This podcast is generously supported by the Jesus Bible NIV edition. With exclusive articles from Louis Giglio, John Piper, and Randy Alcorn, the Jesus Bible lifts Jesus up as the lead story of the Bible. It is available as a full study Bible, as well as available as individual Bible journals. Find out more at www.thejesusbible.com. Want to learn how to interpret and teach the entire Bible in a way that is Christ-centered and clear? Learn with us here on the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. Welcome to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. We want to have conversations about Christ and all the scriptures for every church. And this week on the episode, we will continue the conversation around judges as we look at the judges, uh, Deborah and Barak. And uh, as always, I have with me my brother, John Aiken. We also have this week, Jeff Hay, voice of Christ-Centered and Clear, and then Peyton Hill. And uh, thank you guys for being on. Let's uh, let's jump in. Uh, Jeff, we'll, we'll start with you. Give us a summary of just the, the Deborah and the Barak story, uh, just for those kind of traveling in the car or, or running, and uh, give a summary of what's going on with those judges. Okay, yeah, so uh, Deborah and Barak at chapters 4 and 5, I I took them together. Chapter 4 describes the narrative of what happened, and chapter 5 is a song. And the song uh, sheds some extra light on what has gone on on the narrative. And even though it's poetry, it's clearly there's history in here as well. We've seen that in other parts of the Bible uh, too. Uh, so here is the narrative and a song that helps shed some light. So again, it's the usual pattern cycle in Judges, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord sold them into the hand of the Canaanites, Jabin, king of Canaan, and the commander of his army was Sisera. And so the people are under distress and again cry out to the Lord for help the Israelites. Uh, They've been oppressed for 20 years. And then we're introduced to Deborah, the prophetess, who was judging Israel at the time, is what it says. And she comes and she's judging Israel. She she brings God's word. Maybe some people will get into her later on. I don't know. Uh, And and future roles and, and leaders. But interestingly, she brings God's word and she is there and she summons and commands Barak to step up to the plate basically, and to go and lead his people to defeat the uh, Canaanite Jabin and Sisera and that uh, army. And so she brings the words to him to do that. But Barak replies, uh, I'm not going to do it. And Barak's an interesting character. Well, he says, if you go with me, Deborah, then I will go in verse eight. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So there's a little bit of uh Discussion was Barak being a chicken here, uh, is a, or was he just wanting God's prophet, the prophetess, to to go with him? I actually think he is not showing strong faith here because in verse nine she says, "I will go with you, but nevertheless, this will not lead to your glory, but your glory will go to another into the hand of the woman." So I think this is uh, Barak abdicating a bit of the role that he should do. Interesting, though, you know, regarding Deborah, she isn't the one that wants to lead the army. She doesn't want to be a Joan of Arc figure. She wants a man to take responsibility. 
and he doesn't. And yet I wouldn't be so hard on him because later on we see Deborah does tell uh, Barak to go and he does go. Now he leads his people uh, up the mountains uh, and gathers his mountains because we're told is is 10,000 men, which was going to be small in comparison to the Canaanites who they're identified as having 900 chariots of iron, which was really saying they would be a massive army in comparison. So making good military strategy, he goes up into the mountains where that would be safe from chariots, uh, would struggle to get there. But Deborah tells him, now you go down into the valley to the river Kishon, and that's where the Canaanite army was, and defeat them. And immediately, in verse 14, it says that Barak obeyed, and he went down uh, into the, the Kishon Valley where the army was. And then chapter 5 probably sheds some more light in it because it, it says that the army got struck down there in the valley, in the river. In chapter 5, it shows that it looks like there was a big rainfall, big flood, that massive storm, and uh, and the river became a torrent uh, in verse 21. So the heavy chariots probably got bogged down in the valley. And the lightly armoured Israelites, who are told that they had barely a spear in chapter 5 as well, managed to destroy the army. But at the same time, even though uh, they get not a man was left, Sisera, the leader of the army, uh, flees away. And then we got this interesting little narrative with this, uh, where we come across Jael, the wife of Heber, the Canaanite. Now, we, we've seen him mentioned just briefly before. And the Canaanites are descendants of Moses, uh, the in-laws. So they were a family that were with the Israelites and were living in the land south of Judah. But we read in verse 11 that Hebar had decided to separate from there and move up to a, a part of the land that wasn't given their inheritance. Uh, so he had sort of moved away and he had entered into really a peace treaty with the, the Canaanites, became friends with the, the Canaanites and in many ways would say has abandoned Israel. So as after Sisera flees the chariot, he then comes across Jael and this family that had moved uh, and he thinks he's got a a safe passage. Uh, he's going to be safe because there's friendly relations between this family and the king of Jabin. But what happens then? We come across this really... The, the movie, if it was a movie, the scene just slows down again, a bit like in Ehud. Mm. And Jael comes in and, and she's a, a tent-dwelling woman. Uh, people will say she's competent with cooking and, and, and they say they're able to erect tents as well. Apparently that was a woman's job. Uh, and what does she do? Well, here's she's good at using tent pegs and ha- and hammers, and she puts it to use because Jael, <laughs> uh, Heber's wife, verse twenty one, picks up a tent peg and a hammer, went quietly in to Sisera while he lay asleep, exhausted, and she drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Mm. Quite a destruction, and it says on that day God subdued Jabin, the king of. Uh, Canaan uh, before the people of Israel and destroyed them all. And then the song elaborates and praises God. It just goes into some extra detail. It shows how the Lord is behind so much of it. It shows a little bit more in verses 5 to 8, the oppression the Israelites were under. It shows a little bit more on the battle and, and the different tribes that, that risked their life going to battle. And again, details on the storm coming in verses 19 to 23 
And then the two women are mentioned at the end, uh, Jill and her actions, uh, and actually Cicero's mother showing that Cicero was a bad guy. And then the victory is really celebrated at the end, verse 31. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but may they who love you be like the sun when it rises in the strength. So it's, it's quite a striking narrative, uh, really interesting, gruesome, uh, messy, and people have questions about that. And yet I think it's being celebrated. So mm. that's a little bit of the story. Mm, it's good. Needs to be made a Netflix show. Uh, John, what would you add as far as summary and then textual issues? We'll ask a couple questions that we've had actually sent in, but just anything initially on summary and, and other the textual questions. This podcast is generously supported by the Jesus Bible NIV edition. Zonovan Bibles has partnered with the Passion Movement to bring you an accessible study Bible with features designed to help you meet Jesus throughout the scripture. With over 1,000 articles and essays written by contributors like Louis Giglio, John Piper, and Randy Alcorn, this study Bible is written so that you may know him more intimately, love him more passionately, and walk with him more faithfully. The full Jesus Bible has been changing lives since 2017. And now, select books of the Jesus Bible are available as individual Bible journals. The handy size and ample space for taking notes make these Bible journals an ideal one for group study or personal devotions. Chronicle your own journey of faith as you discover Jesus as the lead story of the Bible in five Old Testament books and nine New Testament books. There was never a moment before Him. There will never be a moment without Him. There is no BC. Find out more at thejesusbible.com. I mean, Jeff did a great job. It's it's an amazing story. And then it obviously, um, kind of like, and I think you do see parallels to the Exodus with the couplet of the the song of celebration with the narrative. Um, and so it's, it's really, it's really quite striking. Um, you know, what, what's happening here. It, one of the things that's amazing to me, uh, about the song, I mean, and, and Jeff did say it's kind of, it's kind of gruesome. The, the song is obviously a song of praise to Yahweh and, uh, the victory that he has granted them. But it's also, I mean, it, it, in the same way we talked about Ehud and and kind of comedy, there is, I mean, it's it's trash talking in a, in a lot of ways is what the, you know, it's kind of like a, I think some people, I, th- I think I heard one preacher talk about this, it, it's like a like a rap battle where the 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 song is kind of a rap that's that's poking fun at the at the enemy at the opposition because you have. One, you have the Canaanites are Baal worshipers, and Baal is supposed to be the storm god, and yet the Lord uses a storm to subdue the Canaanites. And then at the end, as you again, you have Sisera's mother, who's kind of the, the picture at the end of the song is is Sisera's mother is kind of like standing out on her balcony, so to speak, looking down the road, waiting for Sisera to come home, and she's kind of worrying about why it's taking so long. And you have the 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 maidens kind of Sisera's harem I guess you would you would potentially say who are trying to give her like all of these proud reasons why it's taking her son a long time and so he you know they're they're kind of like well you know it's taking them a long time to divide the spoils and it's it's taking them a long time to divide the women that they're going to take and rape um, as a result of their victory and it's kind of like she's like trying to say to herself, oh yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. That's why it's, 
it's taking so long. And so, I mean, God, that this song is is really, it's not just a song of victory or praise of Yahweh. It's 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 a song of the humiliation of mm-hmm. the those who oppose Yahweh. And uh, so, it's 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 quite interesting. It's intriguing. It's striking. Um, it's a great it's a great story. Peyton, things you would add? Yeah, I I think to John's point about the Exodus parallels, I think it's interesting that in Exodus 14 and 15, you have God delivering his chosen people through the waters of the Red Sea. And then as soon as they come out on the other side, they're they're lifting up their voices in the song of deliverance. And in the same way, in Judges 4 and 5, according to the song, He's delivering them through this this flood, this storm, and then they're lifting up their voice and song. So again, there's there's these parallels. I also find it interesting, and this is not really a textual issue, but when we look at this story, we often highlight uh, the the ladies who were involved in this, uh, as well we should. But when you go to Hebrews eleven. And you're seeing these these people of faith being extolled, and a few of the judges among them, it's Barak that's listed, and not Deborah, um, not not Jael, which I just think is interesting. And so, um, obviously, we could talk about that, but I, I think that's something that you've got to deal with if you're going to pull the New Testament into this. Let's well, let's go, let's go there. We had a question sent in, and I want to bring that up, but we we do want to talk about. Um, Deborah, there's obviously a lot written about her, said about her, and then also just the the gruesome uh, nature of what's taking place. So one question that was sent in, I'll start with this one, then we'll go to some other questions about Deborah. Uh, so this is from um, someone who wrote, hey, I lead a summer camp for teenagers called Somersault, sponsored by the South Carolina Baptist Convention. We used Seven Arrows Bible Study uh, that was written by Matt Rogers to students, and the study specified uh, specifically about the judges. One of the judges we studied was Deborah, but a student pastor said this com- that his commentary suggested Deborah wasn't really a judge of Israel. I was just curious if you had seen that argument and what side you fell on. So I want to throw that out to whoever wants to answer first. Uh, some commentary suggests that Deborah was not really a judge. Uh, agree, disagree, and why? I disagree. <laughs> and I, I think, and I disagree because of the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Pretty clear. I mean, yeah, yeah, Old Testament commentators. My goodness, I don't know who. I don't know what commentary they're looking at. But but literally, verse in four, chapter four, verse four. It says <laughs> Deborah was a prophetess. The wife of Lapidoth was judging Israel at the time. It's literally the word judge. <laughs> um, and so I don't know how you get at that. I don't I, know how you get to your. Position. This is not an indictment on all youth pastors. Uh, because there's many wonderful youth pastors, but whoever that youth pastor was, I don't know what he was reading. Yeah, but he's an idiot. <laughs> uh, you know, you don't have to. You don't have to make. You don't have to pick on her saying that she's not a judge because the text clearly says she is. Pick on her because her dad's name is Lapidoth. It's it's I mean, that is so unfortunate. You don't hear that many that, hear that these days, really. Um, uh-uh. So. <laughs> Okay, it seems like you guys are all uh, in lockstep on that and with the Bible. So uh, let's talk a little bit about <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Deborah. Uh, you know, she's been used recently to kind of talk about women leadership in the church. Um, you know, one of the things we want to be careful of, even part of why we do Christ Centered and Clear, is uh, we want to be careful to what the Old Testament is is the Old Testament authors are trying to intend, uh, and also showing how they point to Christ, as Jesus tells us on the road to Emmaus. So thoughts on this kind of argument of Deborah 
being an example, model example for uh, leadership in the church, and uh, just in, any conversation you want to have around Barrick abdicating his role, Jeff mentioned. So uh, yeah, would love to hear. I can open it up to, to all three of you. I don't know who wants to go first, but jump in. I, I, you know, I would just, I would just suggest about the Deborah question. I think first, I think we can all agree that the story of Deborah does speak to God's love and the way that God uses women throughout the story of redemption. I mean, so, so yes. So obviously even within complementarianism uh, in which we would see a different roles within the home and the church for men and women. um, Complementarianism also says that men and women created in the image of God, men and women in need of redemption through Christ, men and women gifted for service. So I think this is a wonderful opportunity to lift that up and exalt that. And I think depending on your church context, you can hammer that more or less. I think it depends on the the church context that you're in. But on the other hand, I think I personally find it a real stretch to use this as a hardcore see uh, God's design for the church as female leadership. Now, I think that there are other places you go in the scriptures that might would allow for that. But I mean, we're talking about a very specific time in Israel's history. We're talking about a very specific time within the the covenants. We're talking about a very specific time uh, before Christ has really established his New Testament church and the offices of the church and the roles within the church. So again, I think it's yes and no. I think we can we can lift up Deborah, but also I think we got to be careful to 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 make a beeline to hey, see what ladies can do in the context of worship gathering. This podcast is generously sponsored by the Pillar Network. The Pillar Network is a community of SBC and International Baptist churches that are doctrinally aligned, missionally driven, and committed to equipping, planting, and revitalizing churches together. If you're a pastor of an established church and you're desiring to lead your congregation to plant churches, but you're not sure how to get started, Pillar could be a great resource for you. Reach out to them today at thepillarnetwork.com. Thepillarnetwork.com. Well, absolutely. I agree with that. I mean, this shows that God uses women, uh, but this doesn't. This isn't a, a, a passage that is teaching us the qualifications for an elder. Uh, yeah. Just because events are described does not mean that they're prescribed. Otherwise, yeah. should we have multiple wives? Just because things are happening, uh, and also, what about the other judges? Would they even meet the qualifications for an elder? Pat would would Samson, considering his. Uh, History uh, and relationships, would he qualify for the role of a pastor elder from the New Testament qualifications? So uh, there's a number of things that show this can't be used for that. Go, go to other parts of Scripture, figure it out. But this is not a passage that describes what meets the qualifications of a pastor leader. Go to, go to Romans sixteen one and and argue about Phoebe being some kind of servant leader in the church. I don't think you have to do it from Judges four. John, any thoughts? Yeah, I would just I would piggyback on what they're saying. I think this do, I think this does obviously show God. Um, so so one, it pushes back people who who say that the Bible is anti women. This story is one clear uh, indication that that's not true. Uh, that the Bible is very pro women. 
and that God uses women to do incredibly wonderful things for his glory in the story of redemption, uh, and that, that he's still doing those things. So I, I do think it speaks to, yes, women are called to be leaders within the people of God in terms of the context in which God has called them to do that in terms of servant leadership. It is not in the same way in the Old Testament, women could do everything in the Old Testament except for basically the office of priest. And the New Testament comes along and says women can do everything in the church except for the office of elder, pastor, overseer. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it does speak to all kinds of things that women can do in the church, but it doesn't override what the New Testament says is restricted only to men. I, um, and so I would, I would just, I would, I would agree with what uh, both Peyton and Jeff have said. listening to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions or topics or texts you would like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com and please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources. Mm-hmm.